Thanks for listening to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, check us out at cbctaylorville.com. Join us now as Pastor Steve delivers this week's message. As we begin this part of our service, I call your attention to the screen. I got a special video I want you to see this morning. So watch the screen for just a moment. Anybody here not laughing? If you are, you just, just leave. No, I'm just kidding. Boy, there's just something about just laughter, just to, to kind of get it. Today, in many church traditions, and we've talked about it a couple times here, uh, today, the Sunday after Easter is referred to as Bright Sunday or Holy Humor Sunday. I, I kind of like that title, the Holy Humor Sunday. The, I, there, there's a, the, supposedly, in the early, the early centuries, the Greek church began doing this the whole week after the resurrection week, the Easter week, they would celebrate with parties and family gatherings and they would all culminate on this particular Sunday and they would, they, they would gather and laugh and tell jokes and it just seemed to kind of gather around. Well, there's some churches in America in the last several years who have kind of picked up that tradition and some go to a lot of extremes to do so. They have jugglers and all kinds of things come in. I, I don't take it quite that far, but I do think it's an amazing thought that the, the whole point being that on the, day, on the day of resurrection, that the joke was on Satan. He thought he had won, and when Jesus comes out of the grave, he lost. He lost it all. And so that's, that's where it kind of builds from. And so that's, I think it's a great, just a thought even to have in our minds. Um, and so I, I actually saw a picture this week. So whatever age, if you can't read that, it says, the first 95 years of childhood are always the hardest. <laughs> I thought that was great. This is a lady on her Holy Humor Sunday at her church. Oh, and I just be honest, I shared this with my wife last night. I always try on this Sunday to tell a joke. And I'm not very good at telling jokes, okay? But this is my one time a year that I try to tell a joke. So I heard one this week. You got to laugh just to help me out here, okay? But this is, <laughs> anyway, this, this one's a, a personal one to me because this man and his wife went on a trip to the Holy Land. But when they went on the trip, they were accompanied by his mother-in-law, okay? Enough said? Hi, Mom. How you doing this morning? Anyway, they were accompanied by their mother-in-law on a trip to the Holy Land. When they got to the Holy Land, they began to see the sight. Sadly, the mother-in-law passed away. 
while they were in the Holy Land. That's not the funny part, Michaela, okay? <laughs> the mother-in-law passed away, and they were, in their grief, they went to the mortician, and, and the, the man said, so how much will it cost to send her body back to the States? The mortician said, that's going to run you at least $10,000. It's a lot of money. He said, but I tell you what, I could bury her right here, uh, close by, and it was $150. So the man thought for a moment, and he said, you know what, let's send her back to the States. Wow. He said, did you really hear what I said, 150 He said, yes. But here in your country, there are people that raise from the dead, and I just can't take that chance. <laughs> anyway, okay, Holy Humor Sunday, okay? I love you, Ma. <laughs> anyway, it, it, it really, the, the whole concept that we're talking about today really fits into what we're going to to express today, when we're talking about hope rising, that's our theme for, this, for these few weeks. And today's thought of hope rising is enjoying hope. The idea of a hope that we have, and it, it, it springs this, this joy that within us. And that, that's where we really want to talk about today. Because as we said last week, we all, at some point, in different ways, we crave hope. Uh, we made this statement, and, and you can debate it, whatever, but really it's, it's hard, if not impossible, to live without hope. We, and, and we live in a world in which hopelessness and despair seems to be almost an epidemic at different points. I, I read even some quotes this week of some college students, and I know this doesn't say for everyone, but their age, and what caught me is they're just getting started in life, and listen to a couple of their expressions. This is how they described life. Life is a joke that isn't funny. To them, they said, life is a prison sentence for the crime of being born. And I, and I know that, that's, that it could be a bad day. I get that. But there is sometimes this general sense of despair and hopelessness. So there's a world that craves hope. And everyone in this room, at some point, we, we, we desire, we want to feel or express or, or understand what that, that feels like in our life. So last Sunday, we introduced this wonderful verse which most, many of you have heard before, 1 Peter chapter number 1, verse number 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a what, church? Living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A, a living hope. That's what Jesus brought. Again, I, I remind you, there, hope is a huge word in the New Testament. Just in the New Testament alone, the word hope that we're looking at is used at least 70 times in the New Testament scriptures, but only one of those times is it used before the resurrection of Jesus. So 69 of the 70 times it's used after the resurrection, which again tells me, as this verse says, the living hope comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Any hope that we have, and it, it might be a strong hope, and it could be a, a hope that a lot of people are hope, but any hope that does not have some connection to the resurrection of Jesus Christ is ultimately going to disappoint. Now let me explain that, why I, I believe that to be true. Because everything that we hope for in this world, everything that we, we it, has, it comes with it an uncertainty. When we say something about something that we, we hope for, I, I hope it rains today, or I hope it doesn't rain today, right? I hope. There's an uncertainty there. I, I hope that I'll, I'll pass that test that I didn't study for at all. I, I hope. There's an uncertainty. I hope that the Cards or the Cubs will win the... 
There's an uncertainty there, right? You get what I'm saying? I hope that I'll never pay any more taxes. This is Holy Humor Sunday, so i got to throw that one in, okay? Or, or maybe it's a little more serious. I, I hope that that doctor's test comes out well. I, I hope that my marriage can survive this. I hope. Here's what we got to understand. Any hope that we have just based on something here on earth, it has a shelf life. It, it has some, there's something uncertain about it because it's something that will go away. It, 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 at some point, even if this hope is strong and it, and it seems to work out, because it's in this world, death stops hope. Death always brings an end. There's, the, the, the hopes that we have on earth can't go past because death stops it all unless something or someone were to defeat death. Then there's a hope that truly endures. So when Jesus raises from the dead, as we said, because Jesus is alive, hope is alive. Because Jesus is alive, we can have a hope that doesn't stop at death, that can't be defeated by anything, even death, because Jesus is alive, we can truly have a hope that endures, a hope that no matter what, it can still be a part of our lives. And that's the hope, the living hope that Jesus offers through his resurrection. So we're going to continue to talk about hope, and we're going to do so for the next couple of weeks from a chapter in the Bible, and I invite you to follow me there, Romans chapter number 5. We're going to get to Romans chapter number 5, and we're going to introduce this idea of hope again, but we're going to begin to see over the next couple of weeks the, the rising of this hope, how it actually works on a practical basis in our life. Let me just start. Chapter 5 and verse number 1, Paul writes these words, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God to our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2, through him we also have attained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And notice, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now if you go on down just a couple of verses, verse number 5, and here's what he describes hope. And hope, this hope he's talking about, does not put us to shame. Or some versions say this hope does not disappoint. Or this hope will never let us down. That's the hope we're talking about. This hope in Jesus Christ because of the resurrection, so death can't even stop it. This is a hope that will never disappoint us. It will not let us down. Today our journey actually is kind of a, a pickup of a journey, that, of, of part of a journey we started last year. We're walking through the book of Romans, and we, we took a pause at chapter number four and began, and we taught some other things. Well, now we're picking up this journey again with chapter number five, and chapter number five is introduced with this, this word, therefore, which means that everything up to that point, he's kind of looking back to, based on everything he said in chapters one through four, he says, therefore, now, and he adds this, this, new, this new passage of thought, this new understanding, and that's what we're going to... And man, I, I, these first few things he tells us are just mind-blowing when you think of what he's going to tell us. Based on what we've learned, he now begins this incredible teaching to us that obviously is wrapped around this idea of hope. Chapters 5 through chapter 8 are another huge section of this book of Romans, and we're going to take that for the next several weeks here in church. The next three focus on hope because the beginning of, chap of this passage is these, these powerful words of assurance, which we just read about the fact that we, we have this access and grace and all that. That's how it starts. 
And then the last part of this section, chapter number 8, the last few verses of chapter 8 are very familiar. In fact, let me just show them to you. If God is for us, who can be against us? Would you all just say that part of the verse with me? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's one to take home and think about this week. If God is for us, who can be against nobody? If he can defeat death, there's nothing that can defeat him. But he goes on, and these are the last two verses of this section. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And everybody would say, Hey, there's nothing that can separate us. So chapter 5 starts this section. It's kind of bookends here, this assurance of chapter 5, verse 1. And the end of other bookend, that nothing can separate us from God's love. And packed in those four chapters, some incredible truths. We start now with back in chapter number 5, verse number 1, the beginning parts of this assurance. And he lays the groundwork for why a person can, can, be, can have this hope that endures but there's something at the ending of verse 2 that just kind of introduces what we're talking about today. Here's how he ends it. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And we're going to find meaning in all of those words, but I want us to, to think specifically about that word. And if on your outline, circle the word rejoice. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Of God. That, that's the first of three times in these first 11 verses of chapter 5 that that word rejoice is going to be used. It's the word rejoice. So it kind of ties this whole section that we're going to look at the next three weeks together. But it's about rejoicing. The, the word rejoice could actually be translated in, in different ways. It means to boast, to exalt, to, uh, to literally to, to boast over a privilege or a possession, to, to give this, this, out, this outward expression of woohoo. I mean, that's what it means. It means to rejoice. It, mean, it actually has two words involved, jubilation and confidence. It, there's sometimes that you can be excited about something and, and it really has no meaning, but to have confidence in something that has depth, that, that's what this word means. It's jubilation with confidence. It's joyful confidence. It's expression of what not, not just feeling it, but actually expressing it, rejoicing in it. Church, I'm going to call you today, if you know, as we walk through this, if this happens to be for you, to not miss the opportunity. This will be my challenge before we're done. Don't miss the opportunity this week to do exactly what this verse says, to rejoice. And you say, wow, I'm really happy inside. Fantastic. That's not what the verse means. Rejoice means to let what you feel here express itself. Rejoice. Start a laughing party on the next, your next, uh, wherever you're going somewhere. Just rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. One of the major thoughts that uh, we'll grab from going through here is how all of this is going to tie to this idea of rejoicing, ending with this. Here, here's what I think God is trying to tell us, is I think God wants his people, his followers of Christ, to enjoy their relationship with him. It's not about, ooh, i got to do this or I'm going to hell. Or i got to do this or, or he's going to strike me upside the head. We, we hear that, whether you say those things out loud, we hear it. This passage is telling us he wants us to enjoy our relationship. With him, it, The climax of this, verse 11, which we'll get to, he actually says this at the end of verse 11. He says, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus. 
we just rejoice in God. We just have joy that God is God and that I'm his kid. I can just rejoice in that. I can have, that's, that's what we're talking about, this idea of just rejoicing in his. Here's what we're learning. Because Jesus is alive, hope is alive. And because Jesus is alive, that means joy is alive. If Jesus is alive, and because of what he's done in our life, then joy is also alive and well. It has this, this possibility in our life. Thus, we come to our theme for today. We're going to talk about enjoying hope. Having hope is one thing, but making sure that we're, we're listening to what he says and truly enjoying that until it's even expressed in, in who we are. Okay, so let me, let me make sure we understand. When I talk about enjoying hope, I'm not talking again about some flippant, oh, well, I, I smile, everything's okay, there's no problems, and, you know, the sun will come out. It's not that kind of flippant idea of, of a smile in spite of, it, it's, it, and we talked about this a little bit last Sunday. There's a difference between just optimism, nothing, optimism is good, positive mental attitude is very good, but there's a difference in, in, in the source of those, and what we're talking about, we talk about hope. And one of the big differences is how it relates to reality. In the fact that if you're not careful, sometimes you can, you can just say, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to smile today, and, and, I, and, and it's not so bad. And, it's not, and, and the truth is, it might really be bad. It might have been a bad day. It could be a bad season of life. Hope does not ignore the fact that, that things can be bleak. What it does is to show us that there is still, because of the resurrection, there is still hope regardless of what we're going through. There is still this confident, joyful expectation regardless of what, what is going on in our life. It acknowledges reality, but it acknowledges a bigger reality, and that is no matter what I'm going through, there's still God. No matter who, who I am and what I feel, there's still God. There's still a bigger picture here than just the things that are happening, and that it allows us to have hope. So this reality... This bigger reality comes back, and we're going to walk through these couple of verses today. Let's start chapter 5, verse number 1 again. Listen to how it starts. He says, therefore, verse number 1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith. Big words here. Therefore is a big one. That's kind of, again, we're tying it in from what we heard before. That therefore takes us back to, if, if, you're, if you have your Bibles open, you'll see this very quickly. The very last word of the previous chapter, chapter 4 and verse number 25, the word is justification. The, the idea of this, the, the thing he ends chapter 4 with, that's where we left off, is the word justification. We kind of stopped there. Now he says, therefore, since you have been justified. So this word justified becomes the, the key to this. But it actually starts a little bit further. If you go back chapter 4, back to chapter 4 verse 23, he says this, the words... It was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him, and notice here's our resurrection part again, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. That word justified, justification, it's a huge biblical term that for those of us who know Christ, this becomes the reason why we can Hope, we can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Here's what, here's what we know. The word justification, it's a legal word, first of all. It, it literally has the picture of a courtroom in many cases when it's used. 
And the way that we know that, you'll go back in chapters 1 through 4 that we looked at, and in chapter 1 and chapter 3, God says about the whole world, we're all guilty before a holy God. We're all sinners. We all fall short of God's glory. We, we, are, we are guilty before a holy God. So he uses that courtroom term. If we were to stand before God in ourselves, we stand guilty. And there's nothing that we personally can do to change that. That's how we are default guilty before a holy God. And so then through the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Jesus paid the punishment. He, as this word said, he was, it was credited to him. Our, our sin, our punishment was credited to Jesus so that now the, 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 verdict, the guilty verdict has been transformed from guilty to justified, which means to be declared not guilty, to be pronounced not guilty. It's a legal term. God has said to those who are by faith have been justified, it says God looks at you if you are his kid and says, not guilty. Now, there'd be a lot of people around us that would argue that, wait a second, if you knew how they, but they did and this, God says because of what Jesus did, you are declared judiciously by God, not guilty, pronounced that way, pronounced as righteous before God, not because of what you did, not because you changed your ways and you turned over a new leaf, but because of Jesus' blood, God is able to declare you not guilty. And the word's very clear. It's a one and done action. Once, once Christ has declared you not guilty, that is your condition from, life, from then and for eternity. You are declared not guilty before God. For some of you, maybe the other way that this word is used will help. It's also a financial term. You've ever justified your checkbook, right? You used to, we used to call it that. I'm going to justify my finances. I'm going to make sure everything stacks up. Well, here's, here's the picture. It's also used in finances in the sense of before God, you, are, you have not only do you not have anything to offer, you're in debt. Before God, you have this huge amount of debt that you can't pay. But when Jesus died, he credited his righteousness to your account, and suddenly now you have God's righteousness. Not only are you not penniless, and not only are you not in debt, you have his righteousness to your account. That's what justified means. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, what he's saying is, therefore we have been justified, declared not guilty, declared righteous before a holy God. Justified by, but don't miss that word, by faith. Remember, it's nothing you can do. You can't work for this. You can't earn this. In fact, you're, you're trying to earn it just defeats the whole the process of the fact that God says this is a gift that I'm offering to you that you will never be able to earn. I, I read this week, and I, I'd never heard this before, but in, in many of the concentration camps in Germany during World War II, that, those awful places, on several of the, uh, the camps, as you, as you went into the camps, there was, this, there was this phrase above the gates that literally said, in English, it would say this, work sets you free. Huh. What, what a joke, right? What a way to rub into their faces, as if, if we work hard enough in here, we're actually going to redeem our freedom, when everyone else knew that going in that camp, what that meant. Your work wasn't earning any freedom, and do you understand spiritually that's what Satan has been doing for years? Is he's been trying to trick people into thinking, if you just work a little bit harder, if you just do a little bit more, 
You just go to another church service. You just be a little more religious. You just help a couple more little old ladies across the street. Whatever it is, you just do a little more. You just work a little harder, and eventually you're going to work and earn your freedom. Paul says you get justified not by your works, but by faith in the one who did the work. You put your faith in Jesus who died and rose again for you. It is by faith that we are justified. Nothing that we do. It's by faith and faith alone for those who believe in God and say, God, I am a guilty as a sinner. I am in debt to you. And I believe Jesus died and rose again for me. So please save me. Forgive me. I want to receive your gift. It's a gift that he offers to you, but you don't earn it. You don't, you'll never deserve it. And if you're trying to work for it, you've missed the point. It's a gift that Jesus gives for those who simply come to him. So justification now, we start chapter 5, becomes the basis for this joy that we're going to talk about today. My, my, my thought as I've gone through this is sometimes in my spiritual walk, I, I got the information and I've got the, the, the schedule, I've got the strategy, but sometimes I miss the joy. And God just reminded me this week, dude, do you remember all these things we're going to look at? If that doesn't make you laugh like the guys on the train, if that doesn't stir your heart to joy, then you need to shake some cobwebs loose because this is the grounds for joy, enjoying the hope that God has for us. So let me share with you some of these realities. I'm going to share quickly as we walk through this some realities of what this justification means. If you are justified by faith, here's what God says that you have in him. I'll start verse number one again. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Christ, we have peace. That's an interesting preposition. With God. We have a peace with him. Because Jesus paid our full price of our salvation, he died, now, now we have a peace with God. The justice of God is eternally satisfied on your account. If you have been justified, then, then your account is forever, it is forever in the balance of God's righteousness. But here's, and this isn't a bad thing, I just want to make sure we understand the difference. This is not the peace of God. Now, there is a peace of God, and that's a peace that Philippians talks about, that when we pray and, and he kind of puts our heart at, at peace, when we're going through the chaos of life and we need to experience peace, that's a wonderful thing that God offers, but this is something different. This is the peace with God, which means the battle between God and us is over. God won the battle. He won us. He, he received us. The battle between, we, between us and God is now over. We are now in this state of being, spiritual condition of being on God's side now and forever. Two parties that once were hostile are now at peace. That's, that's what he's saying. But here's the issue. Some people, and maybe right here in this room, didn't even realize you were at war with God. Now, you, you may have heard and people may have said, you know, I, I'm not a real religious, I don't want to give all kinds of, but not understanding that without Christ, you are literally, well, verse number 10 of chapter 5 says this. He says, you were once uh, God's enemies. Think about that. God loves you, yes, but because of your sin without Jesus Christ, you are in the position of an enemy. Of God. Here's how Colossians actually put it, 121, you once were alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Without Christ, you're spiritually at war with God, and guess what? You will lose that war. 
If you are if you are at odds with God, that's not a war you can win. And without Jesus Christ, without being justified, you are you are an enemy. You are at war with Him. It, it, it's it's the idea that Jesus, what He did on the cross when He justified us, is He made it possible for that war to be over between you and God. Now, there's still spiritual battle. The war is not over between you and and the world, the flesh, and the devil. That's still, but. But the war with God, when you're justified, is over. You're on his side, remember? And if God is for us, there's nobody can be against us. That what it means is you have peace with God. You are forever in the, in the army of the Lord on his side. He is forever, the, peace is, the, the peace is yours. This peace also carries another word that I just think, another idea. And it's, it's the idea of not only the war is over, but there's harmony. There's there's this relationship of, we talk about joy. The Hebrew word that, that's used, that would be used here, but in the Greek, but it's the word shalom. Maybe you've heard a, a, the, a Jewish person use that term. Shalom has a deep, rich meaning. To say shalom simply means peace, but it actually carries more than that. It's this peace, and, and I, I, wanna, I want you to have blessedness, and I, I offer you this, this, this opportunity of this, this relationship. Shalom is this deep word, and what he's saying is you have the shalom with God. You have a peace with God. You have a harmonious relationship that once you were enemies, now you're not. If you've been justified, you have peace with God. The, the picture that came to my mind when I thought of this in, before we move on was a picture maybe you have seen before. Well, I'm sure most of you have seen before. And I'll put it up on the screen. It's a very famous photo taken in August of 1945 when, in Times Square, the news was given that Japan surrendered. The war was over. And this man grabbed this woman, gave her this kiss, right? Okay. Now, that's what you call rejoicing, wouldn't you say, right there? Backstory a little bit is that wasn't the girl he was on the date with. <laughs> yeah, awkward, right? Okay, his date was standing watching all this happen. You can see her face behind. He thought this lady was a nurse, and so he just went up to her and just rejoiced. This is rejoicing. Why? Because the war is over. Where's my wife? I need a big kiss right about now. There's, oh, she's, she's too far back. You understand? Rejoice because the war's over between you and God. You're, not all, you're no longer at odds with him. There is peace with God because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Let's, let's keep reading this passage. We've been justified by faith because of this. We have peace with God. In verse 2, through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Here's what we have now. Through Christ, we have a new standing, and this standing is in grace. Now, I, I, I hope, you maybe you don't get it yet. I hope this picture becomes, because to me, this is just so powerful. Grace is another big word in the New Testament. We know that we are saved by grace. Through faith, that not of ourselves. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 8 and 9 tells us that's our salvation comes there. It's not by any of our works. Grace is what saves us. We also know, according to 2 Corinthians chapter number 12, that when we're weak, that grace is what enables us, to, it sustains us. Our, his grace is sufficient to, to help us. So grace saves us, it sustains us. But here in this verse, it tells us that grace is now where we stand once we've been justified by Jesus Christ. And I, I, wanna, I want you to think about that. What, when I talk about 
what you, how you stand, there's a couple of things. Think about it. What he's saying is, what is my standing with God? What a great question. Where do you stand with God right now? What is your standing before the Almighty? Are you standing in this is what I've done and this is how I've lived and I've done a pretty good thing and I hope everything's going to work out? Or are you standing in grace? See, that's the difference. It's this idea of how do you stand before God. It, it, it also, the, the idea of standing means firmness. It means there's a stability. That's where our confidence comes from. He says you stand because we're justified. We, are, we have this access to stand in God's grace. Maybe there's a Bible example, and I use it because I'm pretty sure most everyone in some way has heard this, this biblical account that Jesus told. Luke chapter 15, we call it the story of the prodigal son. Well, the idea, if you know the story of the prodigal son, and I'll recap it, but just to give you the, 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 uh, uh, the thumbnail version, the, uh, the prodigal son ends up standing in grace. And here's what happened. Here's a son. There's two brothers. The one son decides, I don't want to live at home anymore. I want all my inheritance. He tells the father, give me what I deserve. The father graciously gives it to him. The son leaves, wastes it all, ends up feeding, feeding slop to the pigs, wishing that he had a little bit of what they had, and decides, I need to go back home to dad. I can't be a son anymore, but I'll be a slave. I just need something. For, I, I can't live like this anymore. So he decides to go back home. We find the father was waiting for him. He ran to meet him. He grabbed him. And here's what's really cool. When that son came back, he literally had nothing. In fact, the rags were probably upon his back were, were probably destroyed and stinking, whatever it was. But he comes back to the father with nothing. And here's what the father says. Go get my son the best robe you got. Which says, you're still my son. That's a picture of a position with the dad. And then he says, oh, and by the way, go get a ring and put it on his finger. Which means he not only is my son and I accept him, but he has the authority. He has all the rights of being my son again. He's got the robe. He's got the ring. And oh, by the way, only slaves go barefoot. I'm sure his shoes were long gone. He said, so get my son a new pair of shoes. Which once and for all is saying, you are my son. You are back. And we are in this new relationship. Do you understand what he's doing? He's not standing in anything he had or anything he brought. He's standing in grace before a father who loves him. And when you've received Jesus as Savior, we stand before God in grace. We didn't bring anything. We don't offer anything. We couldn't have changed anything. But the Father gives us everything. We stand in grace. Now that's great when we think about our sin and forgiveness. But let's take that a little bit further. What does it mean for me as a Christian to be standing before the Father in his grace. I'll give you a couple suggestions. It means I don't have to prove that I'm worthy of his love anymore. It means that God's my friend because I'm standing in his grace. It means I'm free of that score sheet, having to do this much and that much because Jesus settled all the accounts. I'm standing in the grace 
of Jesus Christ. It, it means I can spend more time praising him and less time hating myself because I stand in the grace of of God. It means I can believe and consent to being loved, even though I know I'm not worthy, but I can, I can let God love me. Why? Because I'm standing in his grace. I can testify to, that God is good all the time because I've, really, I've lived it. I'm standing in his grace. And even when God has to chasten me as his son, I know it's because of his love. Why? Because I'm standing in grace. If you've been justified by God, you have peace with him, and you're now standing in the grace of Jesus Christ. Anybody ready to rejoice yet? We're not done. Not only that, let me read that verse again because there's something else. We have peace with God, a new firm, but notice how that standing happens. Verse 2 again, through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We get to the standing point because we have an access. And so through Christ, we have a permanent access to God. And that's exactly what that word means. It means a, an introduction, an ability. So we're taking not only this, this, uh, this standing before God, it takes us to our actual living that we have this access, not just in, in our life, but we are actually, we can go to the courts of heaven we can actually come into the presence of God himself. We have access, direct access to the Father through the Son because he has declared us not guilty. So we can go into the Father's presence because we stand not guilty. We have an introduction into the chambers of the Almighty. You've heard of your backstage passes for these concerts? we got a backstage pass, right? We got a pa we've got an ability into God's presence that no one else has without Jesus Christ because we stand not guilty, justified before him. That even a step beyond being at peace with God, that's phenomenal. But it is possible to be at peace with someone and not enjoy their presence. One man put it this way, it's possible for the prince not to be mad at you, but he might not allow you to come into his chamber. God not only is at peace with us because of Jesus Christ. He says, and why don't you come on in and let's enjoy a relationship together. The word access has the idea of introduction. We are introduced into the presence of God. But that means there had to be an introducer. Who was the introducer? It was Jesus. And so just think of this. Just try to imagine this for a second. You've accepted Christ as Savior. You've been justified. You're declared not guilty before God. And here comes Jesus. And he says, Dad... I got a new one to introduce to you today. Here's Steve. Welcome into the chamber of the Almighty. We have access to the Father because of the Son and what he has done. And, and under, these words mean this is a permanent possession. You have a permanent access. The words used are in the perfect present tense. This is something that's now, and it will continue, and it's ongoing, and it's an eternal privilege that you have. We're, one man said it this way. We're not brought to God before an interview. It's not like, here, God, let's see if you like him or not. You're introduced as a son. You're introduced as, as a not, not guilty sin. You're before the holy God to be there forever. You have this kind of access. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible, Hebrews chapter 4, and verse number 16, says, Let us then, knowing this, approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Believers, you have permanent, 24-7,
access to God Almighty. So let's go with confidence into the presence of the one we've been introduced to. That's what justification has done for us. Okay, so we, we have peace with God. We have access, which allows us to stand with confidence, which all leads to that verse that we talked about earlier. He said at the end of verse number one, he says that something about our joy, he says, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Here we come. Now, if, if, we, if we've grasped all this, now what we have through Christ, we have joy in hope. We can rejoice in the hope because of what the resurrection has done and because of how we stand, we rejoice in this hope. The word rejoice, one of the, one of the words I mentioned, it means boast. It's this idea of, of this confident, almost audacious exclamation. I'm one of God's kids. When's the last time you just looked at someone and said, I don't care what you think of me because I'm one of God's kids. That's a boast. It's not boasting in you. It's boasting in the fact that Jesus died for you. And I'm one of God's kids. I can go into his throne room. It's boasting in, in hope. This isn't, I, I hope so. I hope this is all going to work out. I really hope I get to see Jesus someday. It's because he resurrected, because I'm free. I have, my hope is this confident expectation that I am already knowing the relationship it is between God, and he actually uses that phrase, the glory of God. I rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, here's what Paul had said earlier. See, here's our problem. As sinners without Christ, we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You can't get into God's glory on your own. Any sin we have is always going to fall short of that glory, but because of what Jesus did, because of this amazing hope, because we've been justified, we can experience the actual glory of God. The Old Testament picture of the glory of God, when they different things that happened in the temple, the tabernacle, different things, they said that the glory of God came down. They called it the Shekinah, and we're not sure what it was. It was a light, it was a cloud, it was something that caught their attention. And in this, they said, the glory of God is upon us. They recognized his presence. If you're a follower of Christ, justified by his faith, you can hope in the fact that you are part of now the glory of God, that God has manifested himself to you. He has shown you that he is real. He lives in your heart through the Holy Spirit. All of these things are true of your relationship to God. To be where God is, that's his glory. To do what God has called you to do, that's his glory. To live for his purpose, that's his glory. To be a follower of Christ is to experience the, the living glory of God. It's our salvation now, but also forever. L listen to this verse, Colossians 1, 27. Christ in you, the hope of glory. If Christ is in you, the hope that you have, the confident expectation is you've experienced and will experience his, his glory. That's a present reality with future consequences. Listen to Colossians 3, 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So glory is experiencing God now and the fact that one day I will literally stand face to face with God who saved me. I will recognize his glory for what it is. Second Corinthians, or John 17, Jesus actually told his disciples, he prayed for them and he said, Father, these you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given. God, I, I'm praying for these followers that they're going to experience the glory that I have 
and, and we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, and we all are being transformed into his image with an ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. This is the idea that in our life, every day that we're growing more like Christ and we're maturing, that glory is getting, getting stronger, getting more, more real in our lives until one day, one day we truly see him face to face. We now boast in the hope that we experience God's glory now and forever. It's not just when I see him in glory, but right now I can experience the glory of God and one day I will also see him in his glory. We boast, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So what do we do about all this information? Well, that's what today's thought is. He says, rejoice, boast in the hope of the glory of God. In fact, some translations actually put two little words in front of that word rejoice. It says, let us rejoice. In other words, it makes it a command. Hey, are you getting this? Have you been justified by faith? Are you at peace with God? Do you have access to his throne? Do you have a standing in grace? Then here's what I would suggest you do. Rejoice about it. It's going to be deliberate, though. It makes it sound like that sometimes in life we may have trouble doing this. It makes it a deliberate choice that, that I have all this, and either you say, oh, I just don't feel much like rejoicing today. Guess what? That's the day you need to rejoice more than ever. You need to find a way and find this, because no matter what you're facing in that day, it never changes the fact that you have peace with God that you stand in his grace, that you have access to his throne, that you have the hope of glory. That never changes. So no matter what your life is happening, those four facts are still always in fact, in evidence. So you do have a reason to rejoice. He says rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That means today to, to deliberately rejoice. Here, here's what, as I was coming to church today, I'm thinking, so God, what are, you, what are you trying to tell me? He said, dude, here's what I want you to do this week. Before you go to bed every night, I want you physically, visibly, between yourself and another person, tell somebody else about the hope or the glory that you have in God. Well, God, that's way too simple. That's, that's rejoice. Because I can go through a day, I promise you, and everything goes flying past me, and I pillow my head at night, and I've never stopped and just said, God is awesome. That can happen in my, maybe it doesn't happen in yours, it can happen in mine. He said, Rejoice. So that's my challenge. You can ask me next week, say how I did, because my challenge this week is every day, somewhere across the day, I'm going to look somebody in the face. I'm going to say, God is awesome. He saved me. God is great. I'm rejoicing in the hope that I have in Jesus Christ. Here's what I believe. That will change my day. I believe it will change yours. I think this rejoicing is not just a command. I think it's part of how we live a life in truth, enjoying the hope that we have in God. Philippians 4, Paul said, but remember, when he said this, he's sitting in a prison cell. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Rejoice always. And again, I say, there, there's something in humans we may, we may tend not to, to deliberately rejoice. I don't care where you're sitting on and what you're going through. Rejoice. Find someone to say the goodness of God. Rejoice in who God is and what he has done for you. So, couple questions for you today. Have you experienced being justified by faith? Has there been a point in your life when you recognized as a sinner before a holy God, you're guilty? 
but you believe that Jesus died for you and you received his gift of salvation through grace. Are you justified? If not, then God brought you here to hear this message. Jesus died for you. Jesus died to forgive you of your sins and to bring you into a relationship with his Father. Would you receive that gift today? Maybe you've got some questions. You're not sure, but fantastic. Just take this step and let's talk about it. Let's learn what it is, but truly know that you have been justified by faith through Jesus Christ. Followers of Christ, will you take up the challenge with me this week? You know what? The devil can't take your soul now. You're, you're justified forever, but one of his greatest tools is to steal your joy. He wants to destroy the fact that you have a hope and that should leave you with not, there's not always going to be a smile. There are tears involved with life, but there can always be joy. The devil wants to make you think you don't got nothing. If you didn't hear what I said today, we are full of things. And as Peter says, we have an unspeakable joy through what we know through Jesus Christ. Here's what I'll leave you with today. Because Jesus is alive, hope is alive. And because Jesus is alive, Joy is alive. Are you experiencing that today?